Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I feel like I've been gone for a while. (laughs) You know what? It's weird, you know? Like, we haven't recorded a podcast in almost a month at this point in time. Actually, while I was waiting for you to jump onto the call, I went on our YouTube page, and I was just kind of like, it has been almost a month, hasn't it? It was contact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's technically been over a month since you and I recorded together, and then Jason and I have been doing the blues brothers which is whatever it is you guys do when i'm not around (laughs) yeah (laughs) blues brothers which is a movie that i think you would enjoy but is definitely more on the same wavelength of a jason and blake movie rather than a jason and michael movie see you know what you did show me i think the first 40 minutes of it at your old apartment Mm. but i think like i was still living in windsor at the time and i think like we started watching it but i had to go oh because i remember watching part of it with you specifically. I I very much love that movie, so I would recommend, you know, listening to the episode because there's a lot of passion in that for me. And I you know what? Segwaying into the good, the bad, and the ugly our discussion today, I had a lot more passion for this one than I was expecting. I have seen this movie before. I will say that. Okay. I I okay. forgot how good of a movie the good, the bad and the ugly is. Mm, and it is a great movie. And why are we doing this movie, Blake? Because it's your choice. Hey. Happy early birthday. Happy early birthday. I am turning... Excuse me. I am turning... (laughs) That was a Freudian slip. See, I was looking at the date at the bottom right hand of my screen, but I'm turning 31 in like 25 days. Right, right. So, yep. so happy got... early birthday. The second episode is going to be out closer to your birthday, but we're going to be doing horror movies then, and we haven't come up with that yet, but always okay. my favorite time of year. I love watching horror movies in October. It's literally what I do. You know, I've been on a real horror movie kick lately. Um, mm. me and my this girlfriend... is the time of year to do it, too, when it's the fall and like the season. You know, oh, I get through so many. I've watched a couple of mediocre one so far to start off with but that that's also kind of par for the course <laughs> october is the month of the year that i watch like the most varyingly like random some really movies. really good ones and then some really really bad ones yeah exactly. not the topic of this episode but you and i watched two very good ones last week yes creep and creep too Highly yeah recommend. i know that like we don't really do anything post 2000s but we should you know when we do our best of episode mm-hmm. at the end of the year i have a feeling one of those is going to make it on mine Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I knew you were going to like those. You're like, I've been waiting to show people those movies for a very long time. And you kind of got stuck under the grip of of me and showing you those movies. And I'm, you were the right person to finally present those movies. Yeah. And it was the right time too, right? It's funny. um, You wanted me to leave early because your girlfriend was getting home from work. But I basically strong armed you into letting me watch the second movie. (laughs) Worth it. Yeah, I had a really it. good time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you. I think you called her my girlfriend, but now she's my wife. That's right. You got married. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, too. So <laughs> You were very much present. I was very involved. <laughs> so congratulations. But anyway, yeah, that's neither here nor there. We should talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, what we're doing today. That's right. And uh, let's start with the plot and and dive into it. This is our spoiler-free discussion, so this is kind of, you know, our elevator pitch to why this movie is so great and why it deserves your time. Because, spoilers, this movie, 
absolutely deserves your time. This movie is one of those rare gems that's, it's like 60 years old and it could have been made today. Like it really holds up. Surprisingly well. Shockingly well. well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, there's a couple things that we'll talk about in our next week's episode, but like it very much holds up. Yeah, fully agree. Mm -hmm. Okay, so plot summary. Um, Clint Eastwood, uh, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach star as the good, the bad, and the ugly, a trio of outlaws in the Old West, specifically during the closing days of the Civil War. And Mm -hmm. uh, through a combination of scheming and robbery and murder and betrayal... Uh, Eli Wallach, the ugly, i.e. Tuco, happens across a man dying in the desert who knows where $200,000 in Confederate gold is buried, right? And he tells Tuco the name of the cemetery. But then, as Tuco is running to get him water, uh, the good Blondie, played by Clint Eastwood, gets the name of the grave where the gold is buried, So these two men who are kind of friends and kind of enemies are sort of forced to work together to find this Confederate gold because one of them knows the name of the cemetery and the other one knows the name of the grave where the gold is buried. And that's a very unfair, very broad strokes version of this plot, but like this is a very sprawling epic movie with like- Yes, epic is the right word. It's almost like the story itself is more like a series of like sequences or vignettes that sort of tie together. Like, you know, what's really funny is I was trying to think about it because, I, and this is kind of going into like the who this movie is for discussion a little bit, but I, I was kind of trying to think about, you know, what I liked about this movie so much because it's almost at points like hard to describe why I like this movie as much as I do. And where I kind of landed is there's a bit of a this is a bit of a vibe movie oddly enough um and the yeah, vibe is just definitely. like sprawling like desert wasteland almost you know like it there's, it's almost apocalyptic in a sense I was gonna say that yeah like this is very much a it's almost like a period piece in the sense that like the Civil War is going on and like it's the backdrop of the entire film yeah and it's not really even the focus of the movie but like you just feel its presence in Mm -hmm. everything right like there's a really short scene kind of early on in the movie where angel eyes the bad talks to a man with no legs and like they're talking about like plot stuff but like you're looking at this guy and you're just it kind of just occurs to you like oh, like he probably lost his legs in the war, right? Like mm. it's not really elaborated upon, but you just kind of pick it up. Yeah, it's it's a really somber film throughout. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of this film is like very upbeat and there's, you know, maybe not upbeat is the right word for it exactly, but it's it's a very high energy film. But at the same time, like it's very much contrasted with like the desolation of war. Yeah, and desolation is a good word for it. Like, there's lots of scenes where the characters are just kind of, like, doing their thing or just going about their business. And, like, you can hear, like, cannons in the distance. Or, like, 
buildings have been like blasted out like mm-hmm. walls and ceilings are missing but like what i really liked about this movie especially rewatching it recently is like the characters don't really give a shit about the war. <laughs> no, it's, not at all. It's just kind of this obstacle they have to like work around, right? Right. Yeah. The yeah, war yeah. is just something that's in the way of what they're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, talking about the plot a little bit, I do want to kind of back up because I think I think we need to elaborate slightly on Angel Eyes the Bad and and how his story kind of fits into all of this because he's actually the one who kind of not necessarily kicks off where everybody's plot lines are heading in terms of like getting everybody connected, but he's the one who, who sets us on the path toward Confederate gold. Like mm. he's essentially the one who in the open, like his opening introduction, he's on a bounty hunt to find information on this soldier that somebody else is looking for. And what he finds out is that the soldier is basically carrying around with him $200,000 of Confederate gold. And that's really where the plot and, and you know, like where we start on, on this trail is, is he's the one actually kind of on this mission to find the gold. And it's Tuco and Blondie, the good and the ugly, who are kind of the first hour is really just them kind of, you know, their interaction. Fucking around. Yeah. yeah. Like they're the two of them kind of, just building their relationship between the two of them and and the dynamic between the two of them. And what I'll say is that, you know, like I just said that that's an hour long and this is a three hour movie. Mm -hmm. But what I'll also say to that is that I actually paused it at one point in time because I was like, I think an hour just passed, but it also feels like I've just been sitting here for 20 minutes. Like I was like Mm -hmm. in shock at how fast this movie moves through the set pieces and the scenes and and how engrossed i was throughout all of it yeah there's that great scene really early on i actually did want to talk about angel eyes because like so basically and i'm not the first person to point this out but the title is a bit of a misnomer like it may as well be the good and the ugly Mm -hmm. like angel eyes the bad is very clearly the villain and he's almost he shows up at the beginning for some plot stuff and then he appears in one scene later on, but like he's almost completely absent for the first hour of the movie. Yeah. But like, what a great villain he is in terms of just the way he's introduced and the way he just moves through the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. He's he's omnipresent, right? Right. And and it even though he like you said, he's not always he's not often even on screen for the first like hour and a half hour 45 of this movie because as as things happen in the plot he's always kind of there in the back of your mind like where is he going to show up because because you know because how they how they build his character at the beginning of the plot kind of thing and when Mm -hmm. everything you know like i said we're about halfway through and everything kind of snaps together and and you realize how his character is going to be connected to the story of the good and the ugly then there's almost a little bit of fear in the back of your mind because he is truly one of the greatest villains in in film history and he there's just this presence that he has it's a lot of it is sold by lee van cleef's face like I'm sure Lee Van Cleef was a nice guy in real life, but he just had really 
Like, he has a very gaunt, sharp yes. features. You know what I mean? Yes. And you know what's funny is that he actually starred in another Sergio Leone, Clint Eastwood Western, where he played a good guy. And I mm-hmm. did watch that a long time ago, but I don't remember it. But it's almost kind of preposterous to think of him as anything other than a villain. Like, right. he's just so... He just embodies that role so well. Yeah, and it, it's very interesting, his his whole character and his whole character's philosophy and how he moves through this world. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just... There's that opening scene where he shakes down that guy for information on Jackson, mm-hmm. who later turns out to be Bill Carson. He's, the guy he's who, going under the name of Bill Carson, yeah. Right, right. And, like, it's... There's that great shot where he just stumbles into, he just like strides into this guy's farm and like you get a shot from inside the house where like you just see him framed as like a silhouette in the doorway. Right. Just kind of a looming there. And then he just very calmly walks in and just starts eating their dinner. Like, yeah. <laughs> just. <laughs> yeah, it's very intimidating. Yeah. And, and you know, he's not without his his morals and his code, but they're so dark and twisted that he is truly one of the greats in, in villain history, movie history. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, let's, let's talk characters and people you may know, because we're kind of, this is honestly, this is the movie is these three characters. Right. And so I'm going to actually discuss it in the order of how they appear in the film, because uh, that's something that's kind of cool about this movie is if you think uh, this is something that d- is done actually relatively frequently in modern cinema now, and it probably is thanks to something like this, where you get like uh, title shots where it just like freeze frames, gives you the title of the character kind of thing. Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing about this movie yeah. is it's one of the most iconic scores of all time. I can almost guarantee you that you've heard this sa- this soundtrack or like at some point. or you've heard a parody version of this sound without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. So anyway, we're starting with the bad. Angelize Sentenza, Leo Lee Van Cleef. Uh, and we've talked already about, you know, the character and and his villainy. But I'm, I want to talk about the actor himself. Like, you've already described him a little bit. He did pass away in 1989, so, you know, contemporary Ew. audiences aren't going to really know him. Although he does share a one of my favorite movies, other favorite movies he actually is very important in, and that is Escape from New York. Uh, Yeah, I had a um, feeling you were going to say that. Yeah, he plays police commissioner Bob Hawk, and like I said... He he's very good in that film as well because he plays a almost a similar character like he's the kind of the bad guy. He's got this code with him, but you know even that in, in that film is dark and twisted. Very very good movie. If you've never seen it, highly recommend that one. Then we get to the ugly Tuco, played by Eli Wallach. He's actually in a few films more recently. He's he actually still continues to act, although I think in the last few years maybe a lot less now that he's getting up in is age. Is he is he still alive? I thought he was he, dead. Uh, I'm pretty sure Eli Wallach is still alive. I thought he died in 2014. Uh oh, he did die in 2014. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay. So he <laughs> yes, he has been around for almost 10 years now. Um, but he bad. he had a very long, very illustrious very career. Very long. Yeah. He acted like right up until his passing, but um, the films that you may have seen him in in the last thirty years, uh, he was Don Altobello in The Godfather Part Three, a film which I have not seen yet, 
partially because I somewhat almost am hesitant to watch that movie, even though yeah, the Godfather I don't, one. And... I don't want it to break my heart. <laughs> yeah, like the Godfather one and the Godfather Part Two are just like my two of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm hesitant to ever watch it. Although I now do own that as a side note. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he also plays Arthur Abbott in The Holiday, which is a very famous uh, rom-com, which I have never actually seen, but just has good things to say about it. So, Did you know that he was 50 in this movie? I had no idea that he was 50. That is wild. Wild. <laughs> because he... he lived to almost 100 then at that point. Yeah, and he aged very well, apparently, because you would never have guessed yeah, he, he was middle aged in this movie. That's wild. Yeah, he. I would have put him at like ninety nine. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I would have put him at like thirty five, maybe. Like, jeez, mm-hmm. good for him. So, and then rounding this all out, we have the good Blondie, who is referred to as Blondie throughout the film. He's also known as the Man with No Name, which is kind of like the popular cultural name for him that he kind of gets outside of the films like that's kind of well, i think what they... i think the deal is that he has a different name in each movie yeah like i think he's joe in a fistful of dollars and then i think he's something else in for a few dollars more and now Correct. he's he's blondie in this movie despite not really being blonde <laughs> he's blonder than a lot of the other actors in this film fair enough <laughs> <laughs> played by clint eastwood household name i kind of wanted to hear from you why clint eastwood is is so present and important to the culture and actually this is a very interesting film series and and pivotal moment even in his career as well yeah i mean what is there to really say about an clint eastwood i mean the guy's an icon right like this came out in like 1967 or something and like you know i think i heard an interview or something once where they talk about how most artists kind of have like five or ten productive years and then that's it and then they sort of fade away into obscurity and it's a rare artist who just keeps going and Mm -hmm. never really stops and like you could say a guy like scorsese or spielberg are that caliber of artist you could also potentially say eastwood is one of those kinds of artists like i don't even think potentially is something that you have to say like not only has clint eastwood managed to stay relevant for what 60 70 years at this point in time Mm -hmm. he's also managed to continuously grow uh, as not only an actor but also a director like he's become one of the more influential american directors of the 90s up until now essentially i think he has a movie coming out in the next year or so yeah still working yeah and and he's in his 90s at this point jesus christ Yeah. yeah I don't know how old he was in this movie, but he, this is, I think this is the movie that like launched him into fame. Yes. Like I'll have to go back and check, but I think these movies were shot in Italy and then re-released in the United States. And I think these are what made him a household name. Yeah. And let's talk about that for a second as well, right? Because this is a spaghetti Western in the truest sense of a spaghetti, what a spaghetti Western means. We, you could argue that this is the definitive spaghetti western. Yes, you're, and you're not wrong. I mean, you could also say that this is the definitive western film as well. Right. But, you know, we'll talk about that in Legacy next week, I think. 
But uh, Spaghetti Western is essentially, I like what it's called in Japan as well, as a side note. It's called oh. Macaroni Westerns, which which is... I feels... almost like that better, because <laughs> it just sounds sillier. Yeah, much sillier. And essentially what it is, is a film that's, you know, of the Western genre made by, often it was kind of a collaboration of italian and spanish filmmakers uh mm-hmm. they're all you know very european centric what characterizes them by this kind of uh subgenre of the western as well is oftentimes the actors who are being filmed are speaking their native language so one actor might be speaking english uh, while they're filming another actor speaking italian another actor speaking spanish and they're all delivering their lines in their own language and then what happens in post is they dub over all of the speaking parts of all of the characters. It's very much, uh, it's very much an eight and a half approach. If exactly. you remember that episode we did, like, yeah. I think this movie, it's kind of the same thing where this movie has a very iconic score, and they were playing the score while they were filming, and they were filming without sound, but they were trying to match the visuals to the music. Right. Seems like an odd way of doing things, but it's one of the greatest movies of all time, so who are we to argue? <laughs> well, you know what? I'll compare that to E.T., which is actually very similar. They made the, the score first and then filmed a lot of the scenes to match the score. and That's that's a good point. Yeah, Part of the reason why that film is so great, actually, is because the highs of the score sync up so well with the highs of the film, and, and it creates like this very, you know, pr- pulls this very primal emotion out of you. Music has a way of doing that. Yeah. So do visuals, actually, while we're on that topic. That's actually something that I'll say you kind of have to get your wrap your head around in this film and, and spaghetti westerns in general is that the speaking parts of the film don't always match up with what the actor's lips are doing exactly. like. And what I'll say to this movie is that the good, the bad, and the ugly, each of the actors portraying those characters are actually all speaking in English. And so there's only like a very slight difference in sometimes, you know, you maybe notice that the word doesn't exactly match up exactly with their lips, but it's very unnoticeable for all of them. You know, and credit to the amount of time I I imagine they spent in post-production kind of getting all of their voices kind of sunk up with the film. But on the flip side, just about every other actor in the film is actually speaking non-english yeah i mean okay i've seen this movie like six to seven times so i just i don't even notice anymore but like right i'm sure it would be a little jarring for a new viewer it's it's ever so slightly jarring i would say but because you know this movie is about the good the bad and the ugly it's about these three central characters and all of the other characters have such infrequent and uh screen time between all of them that you don't really notice it all that much and and if you do notice it it's just kind of like that back of your mind you're you're thinking like ah like something just doesn't quite make sense What's right going now. on here yeah. yeah but it's not you know for for spaghetti western this is probably one of the easier ones to get into because of the three central actors all speaking english mm-hmm so the film you already mentioned was directed by Sergio Leone. He directed the whole trilogy. And yes, there is a trilogy of these films, although this is considered the best of the three and the only one that I've seen. Have you seen the other two? 
Uh, a long time ago when I was a teenager, I don't really remember them. But yeah, I've also, I've heard, it's not even really a trilogy. It's kind of just like, the previous two movies were him kind of just experimenting with the character type and the formula. And then mm. this was kind of where he really cracked the code. Right, right. Yeah, and and technically speaking, this movie is the third in the series, but it actually serves as a prequel to the other two of sorts potentially yeah which is kind of actually like a common misconception that's something that i didn't realize going into my research in this one is that this is technically a prequel to those films because i i kept thinking even as i was watching it i was like you know like i really didn't feel like i needed to see the other two to really understand what was going on in this one but Mm -hmm. that's in part because it's a prequel and in part because like you said they're all very very loosely connected and really the only reason why it's connected is because of clint eastwood the actor (laughs) right and like it's even debatable if he's even playing the same character in each movie right like Mm -hmm. i think all three movies were released at the same time in the states under the i think the whole idea of like the man with the no name trilogy was almost like a marketing ploy to try and link the three movies yeah definitely It's almost kind of like Mad Max in the sense where, like, Lee Van Cleef plays a good guy in the second movie, and then he returns and plays the bad guy in the third movie, right? Like, it's almost like trying to apply any sort of continuity is a little ridiculous. And there's several other actors that have reoccurring roles throughout the film series as well. That's right. I think the drunk union captain shows up again in another movie he does too. uh he might be in all three actually oh okay i stand corrected yeah but we're not going to talk in detail about the other actors because this is really kind of you know again our pitch to where you maybe have seen all of these actors in recent times and because of the age of this film and also because of you know how prominently the good, the bad, and the ugly is about those three characters that we really don't have to get into too much details until we want to talk spoilers um, and and talk scenes where where different actors uh, and characters appear. So mm-hmm. I was talking about Sergio Leone as well. So he ta- he directed the whole trilogy, but he also directed two of what's considered two of the best films of all time as well. Once Upon a Time in the West, another Western film, and Once Upon a Time in America. Have you seen either of those? You know what? I started watching Once Upon a Time in the West with my dad like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't get into it. It was mm. too slow for me. Mm. Okay. So I think I'd have to give it another try though. I I haven't watched either of those movies either. Once Upon a Time in America, I believe is still streaming on Netflix. And it's been on my list for a long time. I just, it's again, it's another three-hour sprawling movie and you know three-hour movies i i have no problem with three-hour movies but i do have to be like you know prepared for them I have i've to got have to block kind of that out like i've got yeah. to like make time in my schedule exactly. Yeah. exactly now both are supposed to be masterpieces so oh, yeah. i would like to see them at some point but yeah yeah we'll do them on the podcast at some point because especially once upon a time in america stars robert de niro and i would like to watch almost every good Robert De Niro performance before I die. So amen. That's on that list. Who is this movie for? And does this movie hold up? I think you and I can both say that this movie absolutely holds up 
it's kind of incredible how well this film holds up. The only thing I think that might deter modern audiences is that I do think the first hour is a little slow, but I also don't necessarily think that's a problem, but I think it might deter some newer viewers, if that makes sense. I agree, but what I'll also say is that I was just so grasped by this movie and and what it was presenting in the first hour that again i was like i know that an hour has passed like i'm pausing the movie right now to check that i think that the an hour has passed in this film but it really only feels like 20 minutes like Mm -hmm. this movie kind of it plods along but it's it's just so engaging that i really i really don't think that you know it, it you're gonna struggle with it like you would another movie of this era that maybe takes it really takes its time to get going and this film does take its time to get going and maybe that's also because i've seen this movie before and i kind of remembered the general plot beats yeah that could be part of it yeah that maybe this movie almost gets better on rewatch i wouldn't be shocked if it does it's a movie that I, i i was thinking about like i need to watch this movie more than i have like this is only my second viewing of the good the bad and the ugly actually i've seen it like six or seven times i actually watched it last year like last Mm -hmm. may and i was surprised that like it feels like i'm noticing different things every time i watch it what i'll actually say and i'm gonna save this for the spoiler discussion is i thought that there was there was really only one part of the movie that i thought the pacing felt a little off felt a little unnecessary and that's in the second act actually but otherwise, I, th- I thought this movie was paced really, really well. Mm. Who is this movie for? Again, this is considered one of the best movies of all time. And because of that, I think this is one of those movies that everybody should watch at least once in your, your life. But do you know who will really, really, really like this movie? Your dad. Your dad and your <laughs> grandpa. <laughs> yeah. If you want to bond with your dad or grandpa, show them this movie. Yeah. They'll really like it. <laughs> Yeah, and and you and you'll really enjoy watching it with them. I think. Agreed. You know what this movie made me think of as I was watching it that I was like, this is this is a very interesting comparison, and it's also one of my favorite movies of all time. Is Apocalypse Now? I could see that. I didn't make that connection, but I could see it. Part of the reason for it is because the backdrop of the Civil War is a large part of it and part of it is like it's it's characters on a mission with the backdrop of war and while the war is the central central setting of the film like the characters are kind of on on a mission that's maybe adjacent to the war at best with this one and so i thought that a lot of the imagery and a lot of you know the ideas of both films share some dna and and i i thought that was kind of neat that i kind of connected that i was watching re-watching some scenes today and i was kind of like looking at it and i was like this does remind me of something and i can't really put my finger on it but like both of those movies really showcase like they almost take place in like a world gone completely mad yes right this is where like it's a war backdrop where like authority is completely useless like the Mm -hmm. fighting is all futile like there's all this senseless carnage and all these like useless orders going back and forth like it is very much like again like like you said earlier post-apocalyptic or almost kind of like 
the war just becomes this big carnival that the characters just have to work around. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you like my uh, connection there. Yeah. You get this one, Blake. You get this one. <laughs> <laughs> the other connection that's actually really interesting, for, more for contemporary audiences, is how important The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is to Quentin Tarantino's filmography. Oh, yes. Quentin Tarantino is a master, massive Western fan, and a lot of his films share particular moments, particular scenes, visual styles with this movie. There, There's a lot of, of DNA between those his films series. Um, and he even has a couple of Westerns in his filmography at this point as well, right? Or yeah. even films that like connect to the Western genre. I think he's gone on record of saying that this is what he considers the best directed movie of all time. Yes, he has. So yeah, I think that if if you like his filmography, this is absolutely worth your time as well. I have two more connections of, of people that I would recommend this to. Uh, first is Stephen King fans, because this is the movie that inspired the first book in the Dark Tower series, The Gunslinger, and also mm-hmm. heavily influenced the rest of the series, but particularly The Gunslinger. Oh, yeah. As well as very recently, this is, re- I guess, relatively recently at this point in time, Red Dead Redemption 2 in the Red Dead series. Mm. Obviously without the genre, but without a movie of this caliber, we wouldn't still be telling Western stories, I don't think, today, especially not in the video game genre. Like It's kind of really the only Western in the video game genre, but it's also one of the most important video games of all time or video game franchises of all time. It's kind of funny how Sergio Leone claims that all of these movies were like satires of the Western genre, right. and yet they were so good and so groundbreaking that they almost became the, they almost became the new faces of the Western genre. Well, and we've talked about that before, actually, on this podcast. How often parody often becomes so iconic that you know people copy that parody like for example a very you know 2000s reference would be mgmt the band they have a lot of songs that are very pop kind of songs but they were anti-pop or uh and i'm gonna keep sticking to the music genre because i I I think you've made this comparison before but i will allow it (laughs) yeah how nirvana smells like teen spirit is again like a parody of pop music and that's also one of their most famous songs of all time so it's funny that parody often breeds creativity i guess so let that be a lesson to you kids if you're ever going to parody something don't do too good a job or else you might just replace it (laughs) unironically yeah yeah exactly anyone else that you'd recommend this movie to i really would recommend this movie to everyone right like Your dad, your mom, your girlfriend, maybe, if she's in a good enough mood. I will spoil Jess's review, and she has seen this. She's watched this with her dad before, and she does enjoy this movie. Wow, okay. Well, Jess enjoys it. So <laughs> I couldn't convince my girlfriend to watch it with me this time, but I'm going to get her at some point. <laughs> at some point, for sure. Yeah. Okay. No, honestly, like I, I don't think everyone will enjoy this movie, but I do think everyone should watch it. I think everyone will appreciate it. And honestly, like, it's hard not to enjoy the quality of the filmmaking. Yeah, like, there's just... 
there's so much style, so much wit, mm-hmm. so much like gritty violence. Like it's kind of hard to look away. Yeah, I agree. So when to watch this movie, it is a three hour movie. We talked about that. I think this is a good Sunday afternoon movie. Again, you know, lay on the couch. Dad can lay on the couch beside you and you guys can both watch this movie together. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, your dad will occasionally point at the screen and be like, yeah, these were when movies were good. <laughs> <laughs> and just let him say that because he's right. <laughs> nice. You know what? I actually found this while I was doing my research as well. Like I said, this is a three-hour movie. There was originally an intermission in the film. And Ooh. I found when that original intermission was. Can I guess? Is it after... This is a slight spoiler, but whatever. Is this after Tuco and Blondie leave the monastery? It is still at the monastery. You're very close, actually, though. It's when Blondie splashes water in Tuco's face in the infirmary. And then there's kind of a fade out in that scene. And that's where the intermission originally went. Okay, interesting. Because, you know, I was watching the scene where they, after Tuco has his conversation with his, <clears throat> spoiler, and they leave the monastery. I was watch- re-watching that scene yesterday, and I was just kind of like, this feels like the end of, like, an episode of a TV show. Yeah, there's there's kind of, like, that moment of, like, time has passed kind of thing. Yeah, or just that moment of, like, we're setting off on, like, the next part of our adventure, right? Yeah. 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 That's kind of the spot where, you know, if you want to cut it off and, you know, go take a pee break, grab a snack, uh, or even, you know, if you don't have three hours, you're going to watch this an hour and a half one night, an hour and a half the next night. That's how you could episodically watch this film. You could pause it, go get your dad a beer, whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Where to watch? This is currently streaming on MGM channel and Super Channel, both through Prime. We decided to use the free trial of Super Channel this time, and I will say that the film held up really well on Super Channel. So I would recommend checking it out on there. Nice. Yeah. I'm assuming that you rented this? or I actually own own this one on DVD. Nice. I actually, I have, it's like the one DVD I still have. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's, yeah, that's what I got. Cool. That is it for our spoiler-free discussion. Go watch this movie. It's awesome. Watch it with your dad. <laughs> watch it with your faja. My dad really enjoyed this movie when he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> that On that note, uh, we'll see you next week for the spoiler-full discussion of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yep, and yep. boy, am I excited to talk about that because not only is this film a lot of fun and a lot of fun to talk about. And you and I will have to watch it together at some point, I think. I think so. I feel like this is going to be... So I watched it a bunch when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. And then I went like seven or eight or nine years without seeing it. And then I watched it last year. And then I watched it again this week. I think this is just going to become like an annual watch for me. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think it's important to have annual movie watches. You know, your comfort films. And and this is a pretty good comfort film, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So on that note, we'll see you next week for the spoiler full discussion. Go check this out, please. Bye.